African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us. Good morning. It's another week here on Channel Africa. Uh, remember, you're listening to us uh, right here on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, thank you for joining us in uh, DSTV on Channel uh, 802 there as well. Today, we're going to be speaking about access to the Internet and democratizing the availability of the Internet in any society. We know that last week, uh, Tuesday, a non-profit organization, Right to Know, marched to the doorstep of uh, a major telecommunication companies in South Africa demanding for the reduction for the cost of data and airtime. Now, the organization coordinated a picket at the MTN, Vodacom, Celsi and Telcom premises as the debate of the cost of uh, data has been a major talking point in South Africa. We know that this is just not the big major point uh, in South Africa itself, but the idea of internet access is something that uh, is a continental uh, concern. Now, uh, to join us on the line, we have Comrade Biko uh, Mutsarwa, who is the Right to Know Communications uh, Rights Organizer, and also we have on the line uh, Acting Chief Operations Officer at the Films and Publication Board, Abongile Mashele. Uh, we also have uh, uh, Dr. Brian Armstrong, who's the adjunct professor at the Graduate School of Business at uh, Wits University. I want to start with you, Biko, in terms of why it was important for Rights to Know to actually pick it outside of these big uh, uh, telecommunication companies and why was it important for right to know to address this issue of uh, the excess to uh, data and the costs of uh, airtime itself uh, okay thank you uh, right to know campaign decided to um, do this uh, follow-up tickets on uh, the telecommunication companies because for four years now we've been demanding for lower costs of data. Uh, this is primarily because of um, convergency makes it easy for people not only to communicate on mobile devices uh, via uh, voice, 
but also to access the internet. Uh, we believe mm. the internet is a basic human right and should be treated uh, as uh, other basic services such as water and electricity. Why is it that now we're starting to see that uh, that debate is coming into the fold, Biko, the fact that uh, we should see the excess of Internet as a human right? I know more and more people are starting to see the excess uh, to uh, the Internet as a human right. Um, I mean, this is not a phenomenon uh, that is uh, only happening in South Africa. In 2011... A United Nations um, report declared that high-speed Internet is a basic human right. Mm. As uh, a people, as we move more and more into the information age, uh, it's dawning on everyone how much the costs of communication are a big chunk of our household budget. Mm. Dr. Brian Armstrong, is that fair, this uh, issue of uh, what uh, Biko is highlighting here? Because it's a catch-22 situation for these telecommunication companies because I'm sure they're thinking strategically in terms of making money and uh, they are business savvy in terms of how they're going to be doing that. Uh, The issues of human rights don't really come into their agenda itself. So, uh, Dr. Brian Armstrong, it is kind of a catch-22 situation as well in terms of profit-making versus this uh, human rights element to access of uh, uh, the Internet. Your thoughts around this? Um, hi, um, Benjamin. I don't know that necessarily the two are contradictory or that mm. they're mutually mm. exclusive. I think you, sure. can do, you can do good business by doing good. I think you can pursue a profit motive uh, and take the needs of society into account at the same time and actually be a pos- you know, make a positive contribution to society. And actually, I would suggest that the Internet is, is a very good example of that. Um, to the extent that it is a human right, um, I guess the question I'd ask, you know, so, you know, we say that water and electricity are human rights, and governments have a role in providing that. We don't leave it entirely up to the private sector to do that. So I guess the question that, that you know, that begs the question, what is the role of government in mm. satisfying this, this basic human right? Sure. With regard to you know, the, the issue of the costs of data and are the teleco- telecoms operators profiteering out of it. My, my sense, my analysis is that if you look at the data services alone, um, I don't know that the profit margins are excessively high. In fact, I would think on the contrary, they aren't. When one looks at, you know, the big mobile operators in South Africa, yes, they are profitable. They are, you know, they are generating good returns for their shareholders. But at the moment, that comes mainly from their traditional voice businesses. And they need to be very careful about how they cross-subsidize from the voice services into the data services mm-hmm. because they need to ensure that they comply with all the relevant competition law. So, you know, I mean, is there room for them to reduce prices a lot on the basis of their current levels of profitability? That's not my analysis. But what they can do, and I don't think we do ourselves any favors in South Africa in terms of the, the, the way we price data. If you look at the average level of pricing, what I've just said is true, that I don't mm. think it's uh, particularly excessive. On the other hand, what we, sh- what we could do is we could make the entry-level packages and the out-of-bundle rates um, more affordable and rebalance our data tariffs that the you know, sort of the lower-income segments of the South African society have better access to data Mm. Um, at more entry-level options. Mm. 
Well, I want to bring in this issue back to uh, Abongi Lamashel, who's also joining us uh, on the line, the Acting Chief Operation Officer at the Films and Publications Board in South Africa, in terms of the landscape that we find ourselves in this conversation, because as was highlighted by Dr. Brian Armstrong, the issue of prof- profitability when it comes to this issue is one that seems to be central, but also the cost for the consumer is also a dynamic that has been uh, very central to the conversation of internet access. In terms of regulation around that, uh, uh, Abongile, how do you actually balance this act and who's responsible for these regulations itself and monitoring uh, the fairness of how things are done in this industry? Um, Good morning, Benjamin. In terms of regulating access to, to the internet and the data costs, that responsibility largely falls within the Independent Communications Authority of South Africa's mandate. Um, Currently, I understand that ICASA is looking at um, the cost model for data in South Africa and um, also looking at the fact that bundles, they expire and all of those things. So currently, that that does not fall within the mandate of the work of the Film and Publication Board. The Film and Publication Board is largely interested in the content that is transmitted via these um, um, platforms, uh, including the Internet. So the issue of access and profitability of access and protecting the public interest is largely within uh, the ICASA mandate. And I also understand that um, in the recent meeting of SADC ministers, this was one of the main issues that was looked at, which was basically saying that the Internet is a major human rights mm. issue. It's a human rights issue. It's a platform that enhances uh, freedom of expression freedom uh, to communicate, but it has also expanded to trade into business. So it's also an economic tool that can be used by South Africa or by ordinary citizens across the globe to, to, to improve their individual circumstances. But in terms of that access, from a Films and Publication Board perspective, Abongile, um, what, what are the conversations that are happening in terms of the access of that content? Because we're moving into that digital space, and it seems that uh, that digital space is becoming uh, very central in terms of access to that information and access to the content itself. Uh, does the Film and Publication Board uh, actually go through these processes and think about uh, these issues and have a standpoint on it? Um, from our own research that we have um, done as the Film and Publication Board, um, we have seen that access is still relatively low for mm. the ordinary South African. Sure. Um, and the main impediment when you talk to consumers, the main barrier that is there is the cost. So people want to access, um, they want to use the internet, they want to access it for for different reasons, but because of the exorbitant data costs, many people um, end up um, not using it as much as they should or they would want to have it. But our Mm. biggest concern as, as, as the Film and Publication Board, that with the increased access to the internet, particularly particularly of young people sure. and of learners, there's a particular public interest issue that we have to look at in terms of access by children and young viewers to harmful content. So from our perspective as the Film and Publication Board, we focus largely on what mechanisms can we put in place together with internet um, um, service providers as well as uh, platforms in terms of uh, in, in terms of how we can protect children and sensitive viewers from exposure to harmful mm. content 
So we have um, um, focused a lot of our energies as the Film and Publication Board on that issue. The current Film and Publication Amendment Bill that is in Parliament is, is looking at core regulatory mechanisms that we can put in place between um, institutions such as Film, uh, mm. Film and Publication Board as well as uh, content providers on the Internet that will have uh, self-regulatory mechanisms that will ensure that children are not uh, do not have access to specific mm harmful content on the internet. It's interesting that you say that, and maybe I must take that regulation um, issue back to you, Dr. Uh, Brian Armstrong, and I'll come back to you, Biko, mm-hmm. after this. The, the fact that we, we actually approached Ikasa, and Ikasa actually took us to the Films and Publications Board in our process of researching uh, the guests for this particular program is very interesting. Is there no confusion of roles when it comes to the issue of, of regulation, when it comes to the Internet? Because as you've heard there from uh, Abongile, the Films and Publication Board is working on uh, the content uh, restrictions for children itself. Isn't that something that should fall under ICASA as well? Because ICASA seems to be saying, well, the, the Films and, and Publication Board is kind of doing a lot of research around Internet content and excess of it. But there seems to be a confusion between those particular two roles. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I mean, in my sense, uh, you know, as Biko mentioned, we're living in an in a increasingly converging world, and I think that is a fact. Having said that, I don't know that there is a lot of confusion about the respective roles of ICASA and the Film and Publication Board. ICASA sure. has a job to do to regulate the operations of the networks which provide, which, which essentially make access possible. The Film and Publications Board has, has a role to play in regulating the content that we put on top of that network. Okay. Um, I think, you know, in a converging world, there's, there's, you know, these two are coming together, but you, one has to draw, draw a line somewhere and sure. demarcate responsibilities, and I think that's quite clear. What I think is in a very, where, where it does get a, perhaps a little bit blurred is the obligation on operators um, and platform providers to self-regulate in terms of content that gets posted on their platforms, mm. be it hate speech, um, you know, content that is used to uh, promote criminal agendas or whatever. So, so you know, the big names, as usual, the Facebooks and so on, they've got a right. Sure. Um, the question is, in terms of other, other um, people in the ecosystem, what is their obligation in terms of self-regulation with mm. regard to the, the way that the platform that they provide is used to provide undesirable or to propagate undesirable content. Hmm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be back and continue this discussion. I want to come back to you, Biko, and come back to that march that you guys did last week. Did you get any form of the a response from these telecommunication companies? Uh, what were they... Uh, real responses to you guys because that seems to be uh, where kind of the things stop because you can do picketing, you can have these uh, online campaigns. We had another one uh, some time back uh, which was led by Tibo Touch who is a, a, D, a radio DJ and producer also and then that thing kind of fizzled out and we didn't really get a real outcome from that particular movement that was taking place online. We're speaking about democratizing the availability of the internet in any society. I think now we also moved a little bit into the content itself and the nature of the content that is accessed on on the internet, which is something that you can't run away from when you're speaking about the internet space. But we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back after this.
We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, giving you that African perspective. And that's what we do here on African Dialogue. From Monday to Thursday, we bring you experts to look at the big subject matters on the African continent. Today, we're speaking about Internet and democratizing it, making it available. And what is it in terms of uh, the freedoms that we have in terms of Internet access? Uh, we joined on the line by uh, Biko Mutsuarua, who is uh, from Right to Know, Communications Right Organizer, uh, Right to Know is an organization that was marching last week at these companies, MTN, Vodacom, Celsi, Telcom, demanding for a reduction of cost of data and airtime. We also have on the line Dr. Brian Armstrong, who is an adjunct professor at the Graduate School of Business at Wits University. He's an, also an iceberg expert when it comes to the ICT space. He'll be also having a talk sometime this week on uh, this particular issue as well at the university. Well, I want to come to you, uh, Biko, in terms of the response that you received from uh, these telecommunications companies. Did you get any uh, response or anything that was of a commitment uh, from them uh, in terms of uh, your uh, demands that you were making? Uh, Thank you. Um, In terms, uh, basically we submitted um, copies of our memorandum of demands to all four uh, telecommunication companies that we picketed against. Um, the three, uh, that is MTN, um, CLC, and Telcom, um, uh, basically promised to get back to us in 14 days, even though uh, CLC went a step further to call for a much deeper engagement this week. So we are going to be meeting with them this week. Uh, Vodacom a spokesperson who came through to meet our our colleagues who were marching uh, made a verbal commitment on behalf of the company uh, to uh, uh, further their works in, in, in further their efforts in uh, lowering the cost of data. But basically, Vodacom was arguing that they have already made strides in lowering the cost of data, something that we disagree with. Um, and, and I just wanted to touch a little bit on the question that uh, the professor raised mm. with regards to what is the role of government mm. if we are going to ask uh, uh, if you are going to try to intervene mm. at uh, telecom companies for them to observe this human right. Mm. I, I basically think that uh, the experience in South Africa shows the market failure 
when it comes to the issue of communications. Uh, we have seen that uh, private telecommunication companies have uh, rapidly grown infrastructure in urban areas focusing on wealthy suburbs and business parks whilst townships and rural communities have been largely left out of the recent growth. Um, wealthier populations also, you know, they have had an easier time adopting mobile data um, because mobile data access is easier for those who can afford uh, to have uh, these um, postpaid contracts. Mm. You see, prepaid data uh, has been massively exploited to our people with some users paying uh, daily for data that expires, it's left unused. Now, in, in such a situation, what happens? The regulator, as uh, an institution set up by government, must intervene in, uh, in areas of market failure. So what we are calling for is when these companies are licensed, the provision of basic amount of data in as much as we treat water and electricity should be something tied into their licenses. That's one. And two, we think that really uh, given the, the fact that it costs almost next to nothing for the telecommunication companies to transmit SMS messages, by now these SMS messages, uh, these SMSs should be free. I mean, this is a basic starting point, and we believe that that should be the role of government. Our next stop after these tickets is really going to be uh, the, the, the regulator. Mm, let's come to you, uh, Andre van der Spey. Let's bring you in into this conversation. We let go of uh, the Acting Chief Operations Officer at the Films and Publications Board. We made some uh, clarity, uh, clarifications there on uh, their regulations and their responsibility in, in this regard. But we've coming into this space of uh, regulation. Just to uh, come to you, our guest, in terms of who Andre van der Spey is. She, Andre is a Research ICT Africa Independent Specialist, also on Internet Governance at uh, the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. But let me come to you, Andre, in terms of that regulation of these particular issues that Biko has brought to the forefront is the fact that uh, the affordability is something that uh, has been something that's been central to the conversation also how these uh, uh, data packages have been actually modeled and how they've been actually packaged and marketed uh, to the consumer themselves and that seems to be something that people are not happy about and the fact that also the quality of our bandwidth has been uh, something that has also concerned the consumers for a very very long time in terms of versus the the costs that they have to pay uh, for these particular services Henry. Thanks, Benjamin. I think you touch on two things. And the first is, is, is around governance and then internet governance, which is really a very interesting aspect around this and digital rights. And then we see increasingly that if you if you ask questions around ICASA and, and how the different regulators are able to interact or not, we um, and in internet in the internet world we talk a lot about a term called multi-stakeholder governance. And that's something that uh, RIA, Research ICT Africa, really tries to support as much as we can and should participate more at an international um, level so that we have different regulators able to work yeah. together. Because the Internet is cross-jurisdictional, it crosses borders, sure. if you come to things like law enforcement or you know, regulation, you can't just rely on the country's uh, legal system. If you, for instance, have 
turtles and dogs um, being able to buy online from the Ukraine, not to not to put any you know bad mm, reputation mm. on the, on the re- Ukraine, but um, you really need to have an international framework where people are able to collaborate. And yes, that does have a lot to do with international regulation and, and work and sort of how different governments collaborate, but it also comes to, when it comes to the internet, it's even deeper than that because you need to have collaboration at a technical level, so the people who write the code need to be able to collaborate. And it goes to governments and governments and then how different international organizations work together. Mm-hmm. So that's one aspect of your question, and it also touches on access. Um, but broadly speaking, when, when you talk about access, increasingly we've seen, uh, and not just at an international sort of UN level, but also um, nationally in South Africa and, and the rest of Africa, that no longer are we only looking at access. We're looking at, at beyond access issues. You know, if we, we've seen, um, if we look at the latest statistics, if you look at uh, the fact that people have Access to the. Well, Andre, you know what? I have to just take a quick break. I want to see if we can sort your lineup. I caught most of what you were saying, but uh, we've been just having a few breaks while you were having a uh, while you were giving us your assessment and analysis. Let me take a quick break, and then we'll see if we can uh, get you on a better line. We are speaking about democratizing uh, the availability of the internet. Speaking about access. Speaking about regulations. These are very, very central issues speaking about costs of uh, uh, the excess itself uh, that is something that also consumers have been speaking about from a very very uh, big big way in South Africa. Well we're joined by uh, various guests on our line and we'll come back to them after this uh, quick break uh, and uh, let's just take a breather and we'll be back. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-447-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, uh, you are listening to us right here on Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Remember, we are on uh, DSTV on Channel 802 on the audiobook K. Our service into the continent of Africa is on the shortwave frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. You can also uh, listen to us via our streaming uh, facility on our website. You can stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za, www.channelafrica.co.za. 
www.sydafrica.co.za. We're going to see if we can still uh, get uh, Andre van der Spey, who is the researcher uh, at ICT Africa, but also an independent specialist uh, on internet governance at UNESCO. Very important voice there because uh, she'll give us a perspective from uh, an African uh, perspective. But let me come back to you, Dr. Brian Armstrong. Uh, This issue of how these uh, data uh, bundles are actually packaged. There's a lot of complaints about also the expiry of data. Uh, That is something that's central sometimes to people worrying about are they getting value for their money even. Yeah, look, as I said at the, um, earlier on, I think I think the real issue isn't so much the level of pricing at the average level. I think the issue that the uh, mobile operators could do themselves a favor on is looking at making some entry-level um, price points more accessible. Um, so it's uh, how do you make a 100 meg or 500 meg package um, on a prepaid basis uh, more accessible to the vast majority of South Africans? I think that's that's probably the the place to start. I think if one looks at the you know the very big packages and the uncapped packages mm. that one can now buy, um, and the average levels of utilization of those packages, I think the the you know the average pricing is not too bad. But it's the entry level stuff that needs to be looked at. I do think um, the point was raised earlier also that perhaps the market is a little bit skewed in terms of. Um, offering packages that are more targeted towards the higher income groups, you know, mm-hmm. the LSM7s, 8s, 9s, and 10s, sure. and so on. Uh, and that's where a lot of the packages are pitched, um, whereas the vast majority of our population, of course, isn't there, and they need packages tailored to their needs uh, and their affordability. Well, let me see if we have Andre back. I think we do. That's Andre van der Spey. Andre, you were speaking about the issue of excess itself, and we were just talking with Dr. Brian Armstrong about that issue of how uh, these data bundles have been packaged themselves. Uh, there's been a lot of complaints about the expiry of that, but uh, the main issue is excess, isn't it? Um, indeed, and, and what Dr. Brian was just saying is, is also is around packaging is important. Um, Increasingly, we've seen um, operators also um, partner with um, big platforms like Facebook and, and you know, WhatsApp, which obviously is the same company, but to offer you know, services that are more useful to users. And now that is a good thing if we see that that also leads to broader use of the Internet that is actually useful to users. We don't just want users to use social media. And in India, for instance, this led to major um, pushback by civil society saying that Facebook isn't, isn't the Internet. We want mm. something broader than that. Sure. Um, now, Research ICT Africa has done research on this in the past year, and we've actually found that in a lot of countries in Africa, there are these uh, services, sort of packages, with um, offering bundles that are useful to a lot of users. But we also saw that our users are really savvy. They, they're sort of very savvy consumers who don't just use this to be able to access um, Facebook. It doesn't hinder them from going broader and looking at the rest of the Internet. That said, what I was mentioning earlier when, when I dropped away is that access alone isn't, isn't what we need. We need access which is meaningful and useful mm. to, um, to Africans. And, and by that I mean access which um, is open and unfettered, which has fast enough speeds that you know, people are able to actually watch things and, and do things online. And then also access that isn't <coughs> hindered by you know, um, unreasonable restrictions. And by that we've increasingly seen in Africa 
um, um, movements around internet shutdowns. And what I mean by that is when government, it's normally government decides to shut down the internet in a specific region or in the whole country. In um, Cameroon, for instance, this year we saw we saw a shutdown like that happening um, for, I think, around 83 days. It was a really long, yeah, 93 so, so. days, a really long mm. shutdown. Um, and that really impacts not just the users, but it also impacts economies. And it's really important for us that governments start realizing this doesn't just actually impact digital rights, it also impacts rights offline. And then broader speaking, it impacts economies because economies are increasingly reliant on, um, on the Internet and ICTs. Mm, very important point that uh, you bring in there, um, Anri, there. But let me, let me come back to you, Biko, in terms of what are we speaking about? Because uh, Anri has brought in a nice phrase, they're called digital rights. And I think it's very important in, on the African continent that we can't just say South Africa lives in a silo. We live also in a continent where we've seen the, the hampering of uh, uh, this particular rights with governments shutting down uh, uh, internet access. And there's a big debate as well in South Africa around uh, how far do we take uh, social commentary. We know that there's a, a big, a big uh, black Twitter culture in South Africa. It's been criticized as well by parts of uh, uh, the political spaces. Uh, it's, what are we talking about when we are speaking about these digital rights, Biko? Yeah, I think it's important for us actually to, to be speaking to this issue now given that Thursday, uh, <clears throat> the 28th, is uh, Universal Access to Information Day. Sure. Um, uh, given uh, the, the current landscape, I, I think right to North argument now is regards to uh, content uh, on the Internet. We, we believe that um, the technology should not be used to block communities from political action or from mm-hmm. participation in economic processes. Sure. Um, internet service providers should no longer be able to exclude a particular person or community from participation by refusing to connect them. I mean, this, of course, relates to the question of regulation of content uh, that was raised earlier. In South Africa, the current concerns from our perspective is that there is duplication, uh, just to echo your earlier sentiment. We have um, a regulation already that speaks to questions of hate speech and stuff. I mean, you can look at the Equality Act. Sure. Um, but at the same time, we have in Parliament a hate speech and hate crimes bill that speaks to the same issues. We also have the cyber security and cyber crimes bill speaking to that. Mm-hmm. And we are also having to consider the Film and Publications Board bill, right, which also has elements of speaking to this. Now, this raises a concern uh, with regards to the culture of surveillance and, and the intentions behind that. We think the infrastructure, the Internet infrastructure, for data in the internet should not be built with uh, spying capabilities. Mm. Mm. Uh, it, 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 it's at that regulatory level mm. that we can start uh, putting up preventive measures that in the future will prevent internet shutdowns, online censorship, mm. 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 and surveillance. Mm. 
You know, it's interesting that we're at this point, but we actually have to wrap it up because we only have four minutes left. Uh, for me, the question would be, what's the way forward? And I want to start with you, Andre, just in a minute or so. Just give us your sense on how do we th- move things forward? How do we further democratize the access to Internet? Because it's a big issue and we need to actually move in a fast pace. We know there's countries that are doing well in this regard. Kenya, Rwanda are great examples of that. But the rest of the continent still has a lot to catch up. Well, I think there's a major need, Benjamin, for um, just building capacities locally and, and, and raising awareness about the importance of, you know, as we promote access, making sure that that is access which actually um, is useful and, and based on a, a mutual understanding of what digital rights are. And, you know, in South Africa, for instance, the Minister of Telecommunications, um, Minister Tswele, has just partnered with the World Economic Forum to boost internet access by the year 2020. And I think with an initiative like that, which really has a lot of potential, it's important for not only civil society um, organizations, but also other other mm. stakeholders to mm. to really um, lay the you know, accent mm. on um, making sure that access is based on, on human rights mm. and an understanding of it, and not restrictive mm. you know, surveillance regimes and that sort of thing, but also um, that caters for minority groups, so mm. gender, for instance, and disabled people, etc., etc., mm. and at the same time that we protect our cultural um, heritage, etc., mm. and that's what, why a conference like this uh, Freedom of um, the Internet in Africa, which mm. has taken place this week in Johannesburg, mm. is so important, and it's open for all, mm. and I really I hope that people who have an interest in this would, would come and then just you know, become aware of our digital rights. This is mm. not only, the, it's not the future, it's actually what's happening right now um, around the world. So as Africans, we need to start participating more in the debate. Dr. Pan Armstrong, let me finish and wrap up with you. Moving things forward, your thoughts? Uh, thanks, Benjamin. So I think a few quick points. So with regard to making um, access more universal, giving everybody access to the internet, a few points. Um, we do need some clarity from the regulator and the government departments on what's going to happen to the available spectrum uh, because that is one of the bottlenecks at the moment. The mm. second point that Biko mentioned that we need to be a bit more assertive perhaps with the universal service obligations uh, as part of the license conditions and the award of that spectrum. Thirdly, we do need a investment-friendly fr- regulatory framework. You know, to provide universal access sure. to all South Africans, um, we'll need further investment. Uh, people are, you know, people need to be confident that that investment can be made um, in a predictable way. I think the operators can and should look at rebalancing their tariffs to make some entry-level packages more affordable. That we don't get. Um, the, you know, all, all these um, accusations that our operators are the most expensive in Africa. And then finally, with regard to the regulation of content, I, I broadly agree that this regulation, I agree with Biko, that this regulation is, is better than more, that you don't want to restrict rights of access in terms of content. But we need to be mindful of the fact that it's a global um, discussion at the moment about how does one... Uh, limit the amount of hate speech, terrorism, and using the internet for criminal purposes. Uh, That is an ongoing discussion, and we need as a country to be actively involved in that. Well, thank you, gentlemen, and thank you, uh, lady, for giving us your time. It's been a fantastic conversation indeed, one that's very productive uh, with uh, different views coming from all of you. Uh, Thank you to Dr. Brian Armstrong, a junk professor at the Graduate School of Business at Wits University. Thank you to Anri van Spey, who is joining us as well, uh, representing uh, Research ICT Africa and also UNESCO. And I want to thank Biko Mutsarwa as well, who is uh, from 
right to know he's the communications rights organizer there. And for me, Benjamin Mushatama, till next time, God bless. This one is R. Kelly, titled Sign of a Victory.